Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lunatics Library. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we have Kraken stories for you. Kraken good stories? Kraken good. If you missed the history of the Kraken, you can check our most recent episode, and we have a roaring discussion about the history of the Kraken. But today we are here to serve you up some fresh, hot Kraken stories. A modern story and a classic story, if you will. Fresh and hot or soggy and wet? Depends how you look at life. Mm. Glass half soggy, glass half hot, you know? (laughs) Those are the two ends of the spectrum. (laughs) I love hot and soggy. You love that? No. You just said that. No, I know, and I regret it. (laughs) Hot and soggy. So gross. It's like soup. (laughs) Soup is hot and soggy, no? Mm-hmm. I, maybe a bread bowl? Yeah. Hell yeah. That's the best I got, but we're reaching. It's my favorite. Soggy is just not a good word. So, let's hope none of the stories have the word soggy in them, but, am I right? Okay, what's what's first up? Our very good friend, Patrick Goodsell, wrote a Kraken story. A Kraken good story? A Kraken good story for this episode. This is its world premiere. We are such big fans of Patrick Goodsell, and we're so excited to be able to share this story with you it's really good so without further ado let's roll the tape here we go kraken written by patrick goodsell read by alan Kudan. don't call me anything i had a name not that the other lads ever learned it i in the first became you in the second, or just this one in the third. All I have now is half a barrel and scraps of cloth in the wake of waking up, screams, shouts, a storm. A good captain cares for his crew, they say. A good crew cares for their captain, he said. Two years ago, when we threw off our mooring, we said aye, sir, and left the terrestrial world in our backs the ocean gently lapping against its shores, as though the water softly said, I will conquer you one day. Captain had a mission, told the people in jewel-colored coats it was to gut whales, told us when nobody else could hear it, it was to make right by the Lord and rid the sea of a mistake, an invention of the darkness. I lurched. The devil does not need provocation. He shows up regardless, and I signed up for whales. But he's the captain. For months we sway on the sea, following this wind or that wind. For months I gaze at the gray salt water. It's like the sand in a desert, outward and endless. I suppose that's what freedom really looks like. Freedom is a neutral term. That's something folks don't think about. They think freedom is some warm glory that swaddles you, but it can bind you, paralyze you leave you alone to drift in its infinite universe. This life is not like the stories. Folks think it's all rum and action, but there are stretches, long stretches of nothing, of waiting. Nobody talks about how boring it can be. They say, says a top man, when you die, you find yourself on a rocky shore with naught but the clothes on your back and an oar on your shoulder. I lean in to listen. And when you carry that all farther and farther inland, you eventually reach a town. And the people of that town look at you funny. 
and ask what you carrying, because they know nothing of sea life. And that's how you know you made it to the Fiddler's Green, the paradise afterlife where the music will never cease. He pauses, looks at our faces for confirmation. That's what I heard anyway. A shadow falls over us, and we look up. Back to work, says the captain, his face eclipsing the sun. I rise and make my way to check the lines on the four rowboats, peering out at the early morning red sky. Red skies in morning, sailors take warning. I pass that afternoon below deck. Maybe the stone-colored clouds will pass by if I'm not on the deck to see them. The ship's rocking steepens, and I feel the surf growing. I clamor into my hammock. Someone will find me if I'm needed. I let the rocking lull me, drifting in and out of reality, punctuated only by muffled voices elsewhere aboard the ship. The muffled voices grow louder, 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 and I'm shaken awake. All hands on deck. I scramble above as a teal-blue flash of lightning snaps a still tableau. Men shouting, pointing. A sky of lavender clouds, a thick air, a dying sun. I notice them all before I see it, the black S curling out of the sea. The gray sea swirls around it, lifting and lowering us. The shape approaches, extending out of chop until it's as tall as the foremast. This is it. This is his creature. Teal flashes again in silence before the sound slams at the same moment the creature does, sweeping down with all its weight on the bowsprit. For a moment, the men fall silent. We can sail without it, the bosun shouts. I rush to the bow to see the creature retreat to the sea, pulling down splintering timbers, the wooden woman as the figurehead with her arms reached out as though she's begging us for help slipping backwards into the dark water. Maybe that's all it wanted. I scan the waves and think how the depths are the only place this horror can hide from the world, asking each other if it's over, as if any one of us knows any more than the other. There's a pregnant pause. The last of the daylight leaves us. We jump when lightning strikes across the sky. It branches, splitting and expanding. A percussive thunder blares much closer than before. The light rain tilts heavy. There! shouts a voice. We rush starboard and see the snake lift out of the water like a raised sail. A flash of lightning, and I see a second serpent emerge. One man fires a rifle. The rain beats harder. Portside! yells a voice. And I turn behind me to see a third, then a fourth, all moving like curled smoke. Five, then six. Aft! I turn to see seven, then eight, then nine. No, I realize. One, their arms to a body. The devil had come calling. Men scatter, rifles fire, and an enormous obsidian arm slams the main deck. I see ruby cups on the underside stick and peel off the wood, leaving ghostly rings. I fall back and frantically crawl away. One man plunges a harpoon into it and twists. Yards away, I hear an unearthly hiss. How enormous is this leviathan? Another twisting vine wraps itself around the foremast, clearing tripods from its slithering path, and all the others arch overhead like a cage. 
The captain has a plan. The captain has a plan. The captain has a plan. I realize I'm saying out loud. Three men scamper to hide below deck, as though it's safer there. The black and crimson vines bear down. I listen for the captain's voice, but I can't find it. The captain has a plan. I dash towards the helm. Men push past me, charging with blubber hooks. I meet the gaze of the man at the helm and the first mate, who wordlessly asks me what to do. Screams behind me, and I see the men with hooks swiped from the deck like breadcrumbs off the table. Get to the boats! The bosun yells. I scan. Three boats. Why are there only three? A crack of thunder. No, not thunder. There was no lightning. I feel the world tip sideways, and I fall horizontally against the rail. I scramble up the tilted deck and peer down to see a flooding gulf between myself and the forecastle. Splintering wood frames the bow as the arms move it further and further from me. We're going down. Two arms curl against my half of the ship, and I feel gravity give way. There's a silent, weightless moment before I shatter the water like a pane of glass, the cold salt filling me. Which way is up, I think as I thrash. There's a bolt of lightning to my left. That way. A looming darkness fills my periphery, and I turn, my eyes stinging as another flash reveals an orb. No. An eye. Its wicked pupil, not circular like a man's, nor slitted like a cat's, nor square like a goat, but a jagged W. I kick at it, feeling my boot puncture its membrane. There's another unworldly hiss, and I feel a sudden floor form beneath me, hard and slippery, and I feel myself surface. It's rising, I realize. It's taking me with it. Carried up by the body, the head of the beast. I burst through the watery plain and back into air. There, standing on it, I see it in its entirety, long and black like a cannon. Its head comes to a sharp point like an arrow, longer than any whale I've yet hunted. It lurches, and I crouch to hold my composure. Behind me, its body splits into numerous arms like the roots of a tree, and I see two halves of the ship in its black tangle like moths in a web. I listen for screams, but hear none. I look down to see two deep yellow eyes one dripping a clear jelly matching the mucus on my boot. A shadow falls overhead, and no sooner can I look up as an arm plucks me like the finger of God, its ruby cups suction to my body, and all at once the world falls away from me as I'm lifted and flung. I see the small fires of the ship whirl away as the sky becomes the sea becomes the sky in my ark. Here comes the water again, I have time to think in freefall, but instead slam into something hard and wooden. I lift my head. Hot blood drips. That must be mine, I think out loud. But the darkness finds new depths, and my head falls against the wood once more. A chill wind shakes me, and I snap awake, lifting my head out of dried blood against the inside of a barrel, I realize, or most of one anyway. A hazy sun sits low on the horizon. Is it rising or setting, I wonder? 
The mist is too dense to determine. I lift myself up and survey the sea. It laps gently against my vessel, carrying scraps of wood, none with enough character to identify their previous purpose. I paddle gently with my cupped hands. Where are you trying to go? I ask myself aloud and realize no cardinal direction can guarantee passage to land, and a new sense of dread sets in. I was better off in the grasp of the monster, I think. A quick death, however painful, carries more mercy than a slow descent. I slap the water and scream with all the sound I can muster, but there aren't even birds to hear me. I fall back into the barrel and stare at the sky, drifting. I think of the lads, of the bosun who took charge, of the mate who looked in my eyes with the same fear I must have shown him. I do a quick calculation on the captain's whereabouts. The captain. The man whose mission ended us. Ours is not a life to give to a man who would not do the same for us. I boil. A spirit split by the arrogance of it all. When I hear a caw from overhead. A gull. This far out? I lift myself up to see a gull perched on a rock out in the water. A rock. I drift closer. Not a rock. An overturned boat. The fourth boat. I fill my lungs and launch off the barrel. The water isn't as cold as I expected, but I pay it little mind as I swim, purchasing one foot at a time until I come upon the hull like an enormous turtle. Carefully, I brace my foot against its gunwale and lever my weight until the opposite side lifts out of the water. I let it fall over me and swim up, feeling for a thwart to heave myself aboard. Within, I find two oars stuck in their locks. I pause and see deep scratches along the wall. A beast? I run my fingers across them, and the spacing matches. A man. I spit and think of it no more. The gull sweeps overhead and sets off towards the sun. With the oars in hand, I set myself with my back to the sun and begin to row in pursuit. I row and I row, keeping my mind from dwelling on rage or grief, breathing, breathing, breathing. The sun hasn't set before I feel the hull scrape rock. I about face and see the water lapping against the stony beach. Land. I didn't notice before I hit it. I stay my pulse. Land does not mean salvation. I dismount the boat with one deep, rejuvenating breath, I free my oar from its lock, rest it on my shoulder, and begin to walk. What a beautiful story. I love that. Yeah. You did a great job reading it. Thank you. I apologize for the inconsistencies in my seafaring accents. I think you did a great job. And Patrick also did a great job. It was so haunting and dark and beautiful. It was really well written. It really gave me vibes of, you know, oceans and Krakens and seas. Mm, perceptive. Patrick did a wonderful job of capturing the uh, seafaring spirit. Absolutely. And who doesn't love a good sea monster hunting story? I love one. Of course you do, because you have good taste. Thank you. Speaking of good taste. Oh? The next story is actually curated for us and read, sourced and read, by our dear friend Bob Don of 
Bob Short Story Hour, and Hidden Oaks. The Bob Don? The Bob Don. Wow. He has recorded a story for us of his picking. It was originally published in the February 1942 Weird Tales. Okay. And I'm going to let Bob's storytelling say the rest. Okay. Okay. Roll the tape. Death of the Kraken, written by David H. Keller, read by Bob Dawn. Brother, can you spare a dime? The man asked me in the low monotone used by the chronic panhandler. No money, I replied. But I will give you a good meal and something to drink. I took him to a chop house, and from the way he ate there was no doubt of his hunger. It seemed that he would never be satisfied. Finally, he finished, emptied his glass of beer, and accepted a cigarette. He looked across the table at me. That is the first meal I've had for two days, he said. And what do you do for a living that makes you want to feed a man like me? I write for a living, I answered, with a little twisted smile. And sometimes I sell what I write, and sometimes I fail to. When my brain gets dull, I hunt up a man like you, and he tells me a story. So you want a story to pay for the meal? If you have one and want to tell it to me, but you don't really owe me anything. I was amply repaid by your enjoyment of the food. Ever hear of the Sargasso Sea? Sure. For some thousands of years, every traveler has told about it. Monteville described it. Columbus sailed through it. A video gave it a name from Sargasso, the Portuguese word for seaweed. Drake sailed through it for five days. The scientist Humboldt described it. What do you know about it? Not much, but I have been there. (laughs) No story in that. Thousands have been there. Used to be a place of mystery, port of lost ships caught in the weeds and rotting until they sunk. But those old stories were based on fancy, simply a lot of weeds there. Mainly the Sargassum baxiferum and Ocean trash carried by the Gulf Stream. The old tales of prisoned ships and sea monsters were just the imagination of frightened seamen, whose memory became more vivid with every drink of rum. Then no matter what I tell you, you will not believe me. What difference does that make, so long as I listen? Have a drink? Yes, another beer. Now, in regard to the story... I was loafing one day in the lobby of a cheap hotel here in New York, wondering how much longer I could go without food. When up comes a man and asks if I want a job. We started to talk, and it seemed that he wanted a man who could handle a machine gun, or even something bigger. That was right in my line, yes sir. When it comes to a machine gun, I know what I'm doing. I've used him in a dozen wars, from a half-pint revolution in South America to real fighting in the World War. Of course, I didn't know where he was going to take me and the gun, but a job just then looked rather good to me. It turned out that it was not a real fight that he was financing, but a sea voyage. He was interested in this Sargasso Sea. Had some idea that everything the old travelers wrote about it was not so much imagination. He told me that there must be some part of their story true, and he was going to find out. Had a ship and crew and only lacked a gunner. What do you want a machine gun for? I asked him. He tried to explain it to me. He 
said he'd been working on the trip for years and had read everything he had put his hands on. All the tales of the old travelers, starting in with a Greek called Plato. I happen to remember that name because he called the old cat on the ship Plato. Then he went on to say that one part of the story which was repeated again and again had to do with the sea monsters that picked the sailors off the ships and ate them. And if anything like that happened to us, a machine gun would come in handy. So I signed for the trip. Of course, I did not believe his story about those sea monsters. I thought he was starting a little private war or something, but the wages were good, and when I saw his ship, I knew the eating was going to be good. That man Ferguson was certainly a real man, and he tried his best to make the crew have a comfortable time. His ship had made several voyages north, and it sure was stoutly built. Sails for when there was a wind and an oil-burning engine to use in the calm. There were eight of us aboard, the captain, four sailors, the cook, Ferguson, and myself. Second day out of New York, he explained his plan to us. Once in the Gulf Stream, he was going to drift. If his idea was right, the ship would finally find its way right into the middle of this Sargasso Sea, and he claimed there was no telling what we would find there, because for some hundreds of years all the ships had tried their best to keep away from this center instead of hunting for it. Have another glass of beer, I suggested. You're telling a good story, and another drink will help you make it better. No, I will wait till I finish. We sailed on for about a week, and finally get to the place where the captain thinks we can start drifting, and that's what we do. On the third day, we see some weeds, and in a week, the whole ocean's covered with them. From then on, the ship went slower and slower. Some days, for several hours at a time, it hardly seemed to move at all. Ferguson was having the time of his life, studying the weeds and the little fish that lived among them. He'd talk to us every night about the new discoveries of the day. One night, he even showed us a fish that had legs on it, instead of fins, and little toes on the end of the legs. Every time he found a new fish, he would put it in a glass jar with alcohol in it to pickle it. Happy as a boy with a new toy. Of course, the life was slow for the rest of us, but he was the boss and the pay was good and we sort of jollied him along. And how soon did you meet the first rack? I asked. He laughed. We actually did see him. Five in one day when we came into the dead center of the sea. By that time, the weeds made a mat that in some places was over five feet deep. It almost looked as though a man could, could walk right on it, and here and there a ship just silently rotting and almost covered with barnacles and weeds. In three days, we visited seven of them, and on the third day, Ferguson asked me to have a talk with him in his cabin. He asked me if I had noticed anything peculiar about those seven ships. Of course, I told him they were all old but what he wanted me to say was that there were no bones on any of them. Ha! Huh. I laughed at him when he said that. Bones, of course not. Those old ships got stuck in the weeds, and when the crews found out that they were not going to get out of the weeds any other way, they provisioned boats and tried to get out to open water. But Ferguson didn't see it that way. You see, he still had the idea that some kind of animal had eaten those sailors before they had time to either escape or starve to death. And then he asked me to have the gun ready because there was just a chance that this animal would come after us. Of course, he was the boss and I was there to obey him. So I humored him and asked him just what kind of an animal he thought was going to eat us because 
I wanted to know how to mount the gun and where to shoot at it. (laughs) Wait a minute, wait a minute, I said, interrupting him. Let me tell you what Ferguson told you. I've heard a great many of those old tales, and Ferguson had nothing else to go by except those stories. He put them all together and from them made a composite animal. It had a body about 30 feet long, four legs and a tail. The neck was as long as the body, ending in a head uh, about as big as a barrel, with large eyes as big as dinner plates. And there's whiskers about three feet long. It could swallow a man with one gulp. (laughs) How's that? Anything like what Ferguson told you about? That's just about right. Of course, I thought he was daffy to even think there could be such a creature, but if he was willing to pretend there was one, I was willing to string along with him. We talked it over and decided the only way to kill anything like that was to put a dozen bullets into the brain through the eyes or the open mouth. That would take some clever shooting because that critter was not going to hold its head still when it was charging on the ship. The next morning I got the gun out and put it together and fired a few practice shots. That was sure a sweet gun and worked as easy as a sewing machine. Oh, if you moved it slowly you could cut a tree down with the bullets. Some of the crew asked me what it was for, but I didn't tell them about the idea Ferguson had. What was the use? I knew there wasn't any such animal. That next night, the night after I had put the gun on deck, two of the crew who had been on deck duty disappeared. Just dropped out of the picture. Not a drop of blood, not a sound of pain or fear. On the deck at early dawn, off the deck at sunrise. Nothing to explain it. Ferguson listened to the captain's report and made no comments. He simply went ahead with his study of the little fishes. The captain rested all that day, and the next night he stayed on deck till morning, while the two sailors took alternate watches. Nothing happened, and nothing unusually different for another night. Then on the third night, morning came and the captain and one of the sailors were gone. Sounds rather silly to put it that way, doesn't it? To simply say they were gone. That left four of us. The cook, one sailor, Ferguson, and myself. I talked it over with the sailor, and then I went and told the boss that the best thing to do would be to get the engine started, if we could, and get out of there while the getting was good. But he said, no. If those men had been eaten by that animal, sea monster, or kraken, or whatever I wanted to call it, it was up to me to kill it. And that was why he had brought me along with the crew. I told him I would take a chance at killing anything in the daytime, but what chance was there hitting it at night? when it attacked us so silently that there was no alarm given by the one sailor who had escaped. Your story is getting good, I commented. You bet it is. And now listen to this. The cook was a rather old man, and he was just plain jittery. Drunk much of the time and trembled like a leaf when he had to go on deck, even in the daytime. The next night the three of us were in the cabin waiting for supper. Of course, we were not supposed to eat together, not the best of discipline on a ship to have the crew eat with the master, but Ferguson thought it would make things easier for the cook, so we were waiting and wondering why the cook was late bringing the food. Ferguson said he was going to see what was the matter, and he left the cabin. And when he came back, he simply said that the cook was gone. The three of us hunted all over the ship, but we never found him. There was a tray of spilled food on the deck. He must have been carrying it to us when he was caught, at least... That's the way Ferguson figured it out. Uh, That's the only plausible explanation, I said. Uh, Sure it is. 
Now that left three of us. I made up my mind to trick that monster. I told Ferguson about my plan and he thought it pretty good. We made a dummy out of some old sails and smeared it all over with lard to make it smell and then we put that dummy up near the mast with a lantern near him. And I trained the gun so it would spray the bullets about four feet over his head. And I was going to stay there. And when the monster dove for him, I'd start shooting. Ferguson and the sailor were going to stay on deck, but at the other end of the ship. Nothing happened. Not a thing. Toward morning, the boss came up and said he was going down to get some sleep. At sunup, I decided to get something to eat myself and try to sleep. Not that I felt sleepy, understand, because my nerves were jumpy, but it seemed that if I had to go through another night of watching, I just had to sleep. And when I was drinking my coffee, it occurred to me that I had not seen the sailor. I hunted for him, couldn't find him, and then woke Ferguson. All he knew was that the sailor had been on deck when he had gone to his cabin. We talked it over and decided that while I was watching that dummy, the damn thing sneaked around the other side and caught the last sailor and killed him before he even had time to yell once. I told Ferguson that as far as I was concerned, I had had just enough. The best thing we could do was to get that engine started, if we could, and get away from there before we died like the other six. He asked me to stay just one more night and try the dummy bait again. If nothing happened, then he promised to leave the next morning. I did not like the idea, and I told him so, but finally, I gave in to him. We worked on the engine that day and found it was in perfect condition. He knew a good deal about machinery and showed me just how to start and run it. In case, he said, anything happened to him the next night. But he promised to stay shut in his cabin and not come out until he heard me start the machine gun. How about that beer? I ordered it for him, and he drank it slowly. Then he continued his story. I was rather sure by this time that the whole thing was a clever lie, but I wanted to know how he was going to finish it. Toward dusk, I put some bacon on the dummy to make him smell better, and then I started to do some tall thinking. There was no moon and not much starlight. That animal, kraken, or whatever you want to call it, was smart. What he would likely do was to recognize the fact that the dummy was just so much bait and he would sneak up in back of me and take me instead of the bait. The thing to do was to turn the machine gun around the other way. And then when he came for me, I'd start firing. I would be standing, looking at the bait, but at the least noise, I would swing around and get the gun working. There in the darkness, I waited and waited. Glad that Ferguson was safe in his cabin. And then... Just when I felt I simply could not wait any longer, I heard a little swishing sound in back of me. I jumped around and I started that damned gun spraying. And then what happened? I asked. I stopped the gun and waited. Not a sound. Everything was as black as could be, except for the lantern up by the dummy. I did not have the least idea whether I had hit that monster or only frightened it. I guess I didn't care very much. Here is the peculiar part. I've been through all kinds of hell in my life, and it never fazed me, but this time, this time I was sick. I wanted to see Ferguson. It was not the boss, especially, just anyone I could talk to. I felt my way down to his cabin. He had a light burning, but he wasn't there. Gone. And I was feeling so low that I just locked the door and threw myself down on his bunk. Man, but I felt sick. 
I suppose Ferguson decided to go up on deck during the night and the beast just grabbed him? I asked. That's the way I figured it out. Anyway, I stayed there till morning and then I went on deck. I thought I would have a look around and see if I hit that sea thing and then start the engine and get out if I could. All I could think of was to get away as soon as I could. Can I have another beer? You certainly can. Now, when you went on deck with the sun shining, what did you find? He drank the beer slowly, and then even more slowly, he said in a whisper, I found Ferguson, just about cut in two by the bullets. You killed him instead of the monster? Just that. Got jitters and fired at the first noise in back of me, and I guess he never knew what hit him. Oh, it was a mess. And now to the end of the story. I managed to start the engine and raise a few sails, though it took me a long time. But I got out of there and sailed east, and when I got inside of the Azores, I set the ship afire and went to shore in a boat. Of course, there was an investigation, but I just answered questions and did not tell the whole story. So finally I was allowed to leave and took the first tramp steamer back to America. And so you never saw the Kraken? No, and I don't think there ever was one. What makes you say that? I asked sharply. You say those men disappeared. If it wasn't a sea monster, what was it? Ferguson. (laughs) I know you're lying now. I knew you'd think so. I've never told this story to anyone before, because I knew no one would believe me, but... Ferguson was a real scientist. He wanted to devote his life to a study of those little animals and the floating seaweed. He knew no one would willingly stay there a month after month with him, but he had to have a crew get him there. He took me and the gun along to cover up his crime. How do you know that? You're practically saying that he killed the men. Am I? I have reason to think so. Why? Because he kept a daily record of everything he did, and I found that book in his cabin. He would sneak up behind those men, crush their skulls with a blackjack, and tie some lead to their feet and throw them overboard. He did that to the cook when he went out to see why he was late with the meal, and he was going to do it to me, only I outsmarted him. The man must have been insane. Are you sure of all this? Better than sure. He had the blackjack in his hand and his hand up, ready to strike when the bullets hit him. Now, do I get a night's lodging on that story? Holy Kraken cannoli. <laughs> you just been thinking of Kraken puns? No, it's all I want is for Bob Don to just take his show on the road mm-hmm. and just travel the world and meet people in pubs and exchange his stories for meals. Yeah, that's a good life. It, I mean, first off, he has such an iconic voice. Iconic voice. We love listening to it. I, I forgot what was really going on while we were listening to that. I just got so enraptured in that story. You mean like the reality around you faded away? Yeah, I was just, I was in the story. Bob got into your brain. I was on that ship with, and I love that there wasn't even an official Kraken. Or maybe there was. No one knows. You know, the the characters have their theories, mm-hmm. but 
very much like the Kraken myth itself. It's steeped in unprovable mystery. Meta, no? He's really on brand. What's your theory? I mean, it sounds plausible that there is like a researcher that was just trying to Scooby-Doo everybody. Sure. Like, but he, but you know, he's also murdering, which is a bit extreme. And also, like, if you're going to be stuck there for months, you don't kill the cook. You need the cook. So I think that's that like the only principle of Survivor that you need to know. Keep the person who can fish around the longest. Well, they didn't read the story. They didn't read the story. Bottom line, I think there was a Kraken. Okay. I think it was a hybrid. Okay. Where okay. <laughs> it's a, you know, the trope of their going out into the thing to put on this hoax, but this time the monsters are real, mm-hmm. you know? And there was actually a monster, even though they were just trying to make a fake monster. No, you're just giving me the 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 what wh- the Alan, your stupid eyes. I'm not giving you Alan their stupid eyes. I I think it's a little more uh, cerebral than that. You don't think they were metaphorical, perhaps? You don't think they were just trying to Scooby Doo everybody into making to a fake crime scene, but then there turned out to be a real Kraken. By the way, there's a new reality TV show that's awful. And it's called crime. It's called Crime Scene Kitchen or something like that. And literally, the cooks come into a used kitchen and need to investigate the hints in the kitchen, the clues to cook what they think was last cooked in that kitchen. That's where we've come. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, you know who'd be really good at that? James. Dogs. Yeah, they could smell. Great yeah, smell. they they can smell. Unlike humans who can't smell. And then it's like, you know, what was last cooked here? Human food. <laughs> i mean also just it's easy just look at the front of the restaurant it's like oh nathan's hot dogs no it's, let's, a, let's it's, in, a, it's in a personal home kitchen let's figure this a restaurant. <laughs> anyway we i got you off track uh, as always this was it was cool also that bob found a story that he had previously known and was like this will this will be like an interesting thing to discuss on the show so it was cool that he picked it out Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, th- th- this is like the one that he like tracked down from childhood or something. He he didn't track it down from childhood, but yeah, he he went through a few hoops to get it for us, and so we are eternally grateful to him for that, as always, for many things. That that's inc- I mean, I just big 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 fan of Bob Don. Big fan of Bob Don. So I think now we're about halfway, or we are officially here halfway through our little summer sea creature mini series. Oh, we have it really. Right, which means we have a second sea-related topic coming up next week. Seep, seeped in water? Uh, no. Um, I guess I'll see you on the next one. <laughs> okay, I'll allow it. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're also going to be releasing a Horror Movie Club episode on Patreon this month that uh, I think does a good job of tying our little sea creature themed mini series together. So that that will be in July of 2021 in case you're listening to this in the far future. Only for patrons. Only for patrons. It's a dollar a month. Uh, Minimum. You can pay and more. And you can join for as little as a dollar a month, which is $12 a year, $3 a quarter. What's the maximum they can join for? $100 a month. Can they give more if they want to? 
If you want to give more than that, just let me know and we'll make it happen. Find us at filmsaboutlunatics. At gmail.com. There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much to Patrick and Bob for being part of this and for Kevin Murphy for being part of the history episode, having him read some of the poems and things, passages that we used to tell the story in the history of Krakens was really cool. He has an awesome voice for that. And also, thank you to viewers like you. Listeners. Listeners like you. It's not a TV show. Mm. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron-exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club. Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel. You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok and The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more. And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there. Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.